Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Browncroft. It's great to be with you this morning as we continue our series in, in the Advent, in the Christmas season. And this series is simply called Advent. Advent. And Advent means the arrival. We use the word Advent to mean the arrival, the arrival of the, a notable person or an important thing. Advent is something that changes the world. We use this in the way like the advent of the television or the advent of the internet or the advent of cell phones. But in this season, we discuss, we remember, we celebrate the arrival of Jesus Christ. And that is the most important advent that you will ever hear about. Now, today we're going to talk about preparation about being prepared. We're going to take a look back at the same book that we were in last week in the book of Isaiah, which is a major prophetic book in the Old Testament. But we're going to take a look at a passage later on in that book. We're going to pick up in chapter 40. And in chapter 40, the book takes a more hopeful turn. It looks more toward the future it talks about the restoration of God's favor to his people. It also looks ahead toward the fulfillment of God's promised Messiah. And it's here that we'll look today and we'll discover some truths about preparing our own lives for the Lord to work. So let's follow along in Isaiah 40, starting in verse 3. There's a voice of one calling. In the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. A voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All the people are like grass and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. Let's start this morning with a question. Question, what are you preparing for? What are you preparing for? Now, if you're like me and my family, we just got through Thanksgiving. And if you're like my family, you might have had an Excel spreadsheet documenting what everybody was bringing. And then afterwards, you might have had certain discussions to make sure that the right people were preparing the turkey and the right people were making the pies and the right people were bringing drinks. Maybe some rolls, maybe that canned cranberry gel stuff. You know who you are. <laughs> and now, as we look ahead, we are preparing for the Christmas season, and there is so much to prepare for, for Christmas morning, and uh, for family gatherings, for friend gatherings, for Christmas lists, and presents, and to the all-important question of, do you get a real or faux real Christmas tree? And then the question in my house is, when do you put it up? And then, what goes on it? I mean, this is, this is one way we can answer this question this morning. What are you preparing for? But I want us to think about it again, because that's nice, and usually our answers are kind of cute. But really, this morning, what are you preparing for? 
What are you preparing for in your life? What are you preparing for? I believe how we answer that question can be very revealing. How we answer that question shapes the decisions that we make, the steps that we take. I believe it even provides a lens at how we view our past and a lens at how we are even viewing our future. So what are you preparing for? How we answer that question and then the subsequent how are you preparing influences to some degree every decision that you're going to make from here to then. From every test you prep for to every conversation with your kids, your coworkers, your family, to how you sleep, to how you eat, to what you read, what you are truly preparing for impacts every facet of your life. When I was in college, I had a recurring dream. It was actually kind of a nightmare, and it was really quite simple. I would spend hours and hours and hours preparing for a test. The nightmare continues. Pouring over texts and note cards. I would wake up early, eat a good breakfast. I'd hit it again. I'd walk into class confident that I was about to crush this thing. And then the prof would hand out the test. And I would look at it and start number one. Hmm. Didn't remember that. Number two. And it's soon that I realized that I had prepared for the wrong thing. I had prepared and studied the wrong thing. This was a recurring dream throughout college, probably because in high school it happened a couple times. And I knew that my slacker skills of high school were not going to hold up in college. And so I was committed to work, to work. And so this was my nightmare, to work, to work, to work, to only to get to the exam and find out that I had prepared for the wrong thing. I had studied the wrong thing. I was fully prepared but I had fully prepared for the wrong thing. And therefore, I wasn't prepared at all. When Jesus came, when Jesus came, we find the church people, the Jewish leaders had been preparing for the wrong thing. They were more than prepared. They had their rules, their regulations, the religious systems in place. They were ready and it sounded like a good thing. But when Jesus showed up, when God's promised Messiah came to earth, People didn't like it. It wasn't what they were preparing for. They missed it. They had been preparing for something else. They had misaligned their dreams. Their, in their hearts, they had replaced who God actually was with, with what they actually wanted. And then they prepared for that. And then when God showed up, when Jesus came as the fulfillment of the prophecies, when God's promised Messiah came, they were fully prepared for the wrong thing. And therefore, they weren't prepared at all. So what are you preparing for? Grass withers, flowers fade, but the word of our God endures forever. Before we get too much more into that, let's take another look at Isaiah 3. It says, A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed. 
and all people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. In the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. In this passage, the desert and the wilderness are synonyms. They're referring to the same desolation, the same lostness. And I want you to think about what we know about the Jewish people at this time. Remember, this is post-promised land. This is post-Moses. This is post-David, post-Solomon, post-Malone. Actually, it's pre-Malone. Parents, if you didn't get it, ask your kids. But where were the Jewish people wandering for 40 years? In the wilderness. Where were they going? The promised land. Why did it take them so long? Because they didn't honor God. And after 40 years of wandering, God provided for them the promised land. And things were good for a while. Until the Jewish people entered into their cycle of disobedience, of honoring other gods or placing characteristics on God that just were not true again and again and again. And now in the book of Isaiah, a couple hundred years later, God is calling them out of their destruction and a voice says, make a highway in the wilderness. Stop wandering. Stop wandering. The glory of the Lord is about to be revealed. Salvation and true freedom are being revealed. Stop wandering. Now this highway, this highway is a way of preparing for the Lord. When we think of a highway now, we think of highways that cut across America, interstates that cut across America, connecting cities to cities to cities. But in Isaiah's day, this was a way of preparing for a king. This was a way of preparing, making a way for the grand processional. It's not that the king couldn't and his people couldn't find their way on their own. They're more than capable. But in making a highway, you are preparing for the processional of a king. It's a way that you honor the king. It's a way that you prepare for his arrival. The religious highways that the Jewish leaders of the day were laying didn't lead to their hearts. The highways that they were laying didn't lead to God's. And so when Jesus came, when Jesus arrived, he looked at the highways that had been laid and he carved a new one. He carved a new one. He carved one that led to the heart of God, to forgiveness, to repentance, to hope, to joy, to new life that's found only in him. But then how do we prepare? How do we make sure that we are on the right highway? But the word of our God endures forever. The word of God, the Bible, the words of Jesus. I have a little plot of land in my backyard. It's this little 12 by 8 garden. It's not anything spectacular. I am definitely not a great farmer. My ancestors were farmers. My dad grew up on a dairy farm and my maternal grandmother grew up on a tobacco and cotton farm in North Carolina. But those skills and those giftings definitely did not get passed down in the gene pool. I'm not a farmer. To illustrate this real quick, one of our favorite in my house, our favorite COVID lockdown pastimes was looking out at our garden and seeing the squirrels in our garden. 
and then shooting the squirrels with Nerf darts. This is what we did. So the garden is about 20 feet away from the house. And when we'd see a squirrel enter our garden, the boys and I would go, squirrel! And we'd run over to the window overlooking and we'd grab our preloaded Nerf dart guns, open the window, peer out, aim, and rain down Nerf fury on those pesky rodents. It did not stop them from coming back. It did not. And there's a couple things that we learned. One, it was worth every moment. Two, I am definitely not a farmer. And three, my sons and I shoot like stormtroopers, just scattered all over the place. Anyway, our garden. Besides my squirreled strawberries, we have tomatoes, jalapenos, cilantro, basically any important ingredient for salsa, and then some other vegetables. And we enjoy our garden. Uh, the kids get to help care for it. We and the squirrels get to eat the produce from it. And after another successful year of gardening and semi-successful year of squirrel hunting, we shut it down and we prepare for another year. We prepare in advance for a harvest yet to come. Sometimes before a winter, maybe sometimes right after, we clean out the debris we cut down the overgrowth. We till and turn the soil. And when I till and turn the soil, we break up the ground. We break up what was to allow new nutrients in to replenish and revive the soil. Preparing the soil is an essential part of my future harvest. I need to be preparing the soil before I ever hope to plant and grow a seed. In my life, I need to let God prepare my heart before I can ever hope for him to do a work through it. The Jewish people of the day had misaligned their hopes, misaligned their dreams because they were straying from God's heart. And they were preparing the ground in the way that they wanted to. They prepared the ground in a way that would bring earthly glory and earthly power and an earthly king and not the heavenly glory and heavenly power that God desires to bring. And we in the church, we need to watch for the same in our own lives. We need to watch and learn from this because it's all too easy to just start creating our own highway, thinking that we know what the Lord wants us to do and go on our own path or start with where the Lord is taking us and then slowly drift and drift and add in our own desires. A.W. Tozer writes about this in his book, The Knowledge of the Holy. It says, left to ourselves, we tend immediately to reduce God to manageable terms. We want to get him where we can use him or at least know where he is when we need him. We want a God we can in some measure control. We need the feeling of security that comes with knowing what God is like. And what he is like is a composite of all the religious pictures that we have seen, all the best people we have known or heard about and all the sublime ideas we have entertained. I want us to pause and read that. It sounds all too familiar, I think. When we make God something that is not, it's like drinking from a polluted water source. And as we drink, and the more we drink, 
And the more we drink, the cloudier our hearts, the cloudier our minds become until we're not even able to recognize the true character of God. Maybe even more dangerous than worshiping other gods is making God something that he's not and then worshiping that. More dangerous than worshiping other gods is making God something that he's not and worshiping that. When we make God something that he isn't, when we put on the characteristics that we desire God to have on God, instead of letting the characteristics of God influence our lives, we are preparing wrong. Jesus told a parable about seeds that were scattered. Seeds that were scattered on hard ground and the birds came and and ate it up. And then seed that was scattered on rocky soil and began to to grow, but the roots couldn't take and it just was washed away. And then roots or seeds that were scattered on thorny ground and were choked out. And then seed that was scattered on fertile soil and grew and thrived the way that God intended it. So what does this look like in your life? What kind of soil are you? What kind of soil are you? How are you preparing your life for the seeds that God desires to plant in you? Maybe even plant through you. Right now, what kind of soil are you? What kind of soil do you want to be? The Lord can change that if you let him. The life-changing relationship with Jesus is a daily tilling of the soil, a daily tilling of the soul. And it's amazing. And it's hard. This tilling prepares us for the winters in our life. And this tilling also prepares us for a future harvest. I want to be good soil. I want to be good soil. Isaiah 40 at verse six says, a voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All people are like grass and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. People are like grass, their glory, their faithfulness, like flowers and grass withers, flowers fall. You will wither. Your glory will fade. It may already be fading. I think most people are completely forgotten after four or five generations. That's sad, but it's true. But here's the thing today. As long as you have breath in your lungs, this is your season. What are you growing? What are you growing? Legacy is a word that many people think of, maybe even a bit more this time of year. What's your legacy? You might think of your spouse, your kids. You might think of your workplace, your friendships, a plethora of things. We all long and search for a legacy of meaning. And whether you like it or not, your legacy will honor what you honor. So what are you passing on to future generations? What's the work of your mind, of your hands that impacts the world when you are gone? 
Billy Graham stated that the greatest legacy one can pass on to one's children and grandchildren is not money or material things accumulated in one's life, but rather a legacy of character and faith. Grass withers, flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. You want a legacy that's part of something that doesn't fade, that doesn't die out? It's only true when it's aligned under the authority of Jesus Christ and under the authority of the word of God. Let our legacy not be how we wanted to reach people for Jesus. Let our number one legacy not be how we wanted to tell our family or our friends about Jesus, but let our legacy be how we sought after Christ. Let our legacy be how we pursued Jesus. Your greatest legacy will be how you pursued Jesus. And then through our obedience, through your seeking, the tilling of the soil, we experience a greater longing, a greater hope, a greater joy in Christ. I love that NRSV Here in this passage, it says, A voice cries out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill made low. The uneven ground shall become level. The rough places a plain. Then the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. Then the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. It's pre-required. Preparing the ground, preparing the soil is a prerequisite to experiencing from the revealing of the glory of the Lord in our lives. Yes, God himself can make any ground holy. We see that in the burning bush. But if you want to see revival in our lives, in your family, in our church, in our city, we first must be preparing the soil of our hearts. How do you prepare the soil? First and foremost, spend time with God. Read his word. Spend time in prayer. Spend time listening. Worship him through the songs that you sing and the lives that you live. Prepare your heart. Prepare your soil. Seek the Lord. And second, we must prepare the ground. Like prepare the literal ground on which you walk for the advent, for the coming of our King, for the arrival of our Lord. I was thinking about this. In every revival that we think of, the revival of the Holy Spirit from Pentecost to Charles Finney down the street to every Billy Graham crusade, revival began in prepared ground. Prepared soil where people were gathering, where people were praying, where people were seeking the Lord, the people were preparing for the Lord to arrive. And I know this shouldn't be a surprise, but the Lord shows up where people gather, when people are praying, when people are seeking the Lord. And then when God shows up, when God changes your life again and again and again, you can't help but share it but it starts with ready hearts and fertile ground. One of the most meaningful things you can do is till the soil of your life through the word of God 
And then prepare the ground, prepare the soil in your family, in your neighborhood. Pray over them, speak scripture over them. Pray over your spouse, your kids, your workplace, your coworkers. Pray over where you drive, through your neighborhoods, down your hall. Just start praying, prepare for meaningful conversations. Pray for healing of hearts and minds. Pray for the miraculous, pray for joy, pray for hope, pray for salvation. Make fertile ground. Make good soil around you. Prepare the way of the Lord. Pray that the Lord will make straight a highway in the wilderness from where you walk each day directly to his heart. My dad, many of you whom you've met, was a pastor in New Jersey for 30 plus years. My dad was also an avid reader. And I remember going into his church office and it just being lined with books, with commentaries, with theological and ministry and pastoral books. And it was literally a library with a card catalog, if you remember what those are, a card catalog. And when he retired a decade ago, my siblings and I were able to go into his office and take a handful or a box full of books. Actually, the A.W. Tozer book from earlier in this sermon is one of those books. And the books themselves, they're great. They're great. But what's even more special now as I've grown, is, as I read these books, is reading the notes that he's jotted in the margins. Reading the underlines. Reading the scripture passages that he's cross-referenced. And you say, oh, that's nice. That's nice. And it is. But here's how I view these. Here's how I view these notes. Those of you who know my dad know that my dad is paralyzed from the chest down. This was from an accident that my family was in 25 years ago. And when I read these books with these notes in the margins, I know that they are before one of the most traumatic events in his life. I know this because the way that my dad physically writes changed forever that day. And that testimony is for another time. But when I view these notes in these books from 30 to 40 years ago, I'm stepping back to a time in my dad's life. And as I read the chapters and these notes, I can see clearly how he was longing to be good soil, longing to know Jesus more. But I also read this knowing the future. And I can see how God was preparing in him and our family for the trials and the joys to come. When I read these notes, these underlines from a decade, decades ago, I can see how God was planting seeds in prepared soil. Planting seeds in his prepared soil. And as I read these books, these notes in the margins, I can even see how God was preparing my dad to travel through a bit of wilderness. And I can also see and have lived how my mom and dad were always preparing the ground of faith for which their kids would later walk. And now, as I read these books, I read as a firsthand witness of God's faithfulness through the generations. Seeing my dad's fingerprints, read, reading his underlines, reading his notes as I now add my own. Now, I don't think my dad's done. That's not done. <laughs> my, 
My parents host multiple small groups in their house. They are host for their online church's ministry. And uh, they just joined a, a prison ministry at their local church, preparing to go into the local jails and lead Bible studies. They continue to prepare the ground. You know, this is important because sometimes we are called to prepare the ground, to pray, to prepare the way of the Lord, but never get to see the fruit. We never get to live to the next harvest. Are you okay with that? And sometimes God is asking us to prepare the ground for what he desires to do in someone else. I mean, think about it. Moses never stepped foot in the promised land. David never laid a brick for the temple. John the Baptist's entire life's calling was to prepare the way of the Lord, to prepare the way for the Messiah. His entire life was calling people into repentance, into a holy life, into a life pleasing to God. His entire life was spent making fertile ground, preparing the way, and then he was killed. What if your entire blood, your sweat, your tears was so that someone else would get to experience the glory of the Lord? When John's followers came to him to discuss the ministry of Jesus because some of his followers were leaving to go follow Jesus, John says in John 3, he must become greater. I must become less. He must become greater. I must become less. John the Baptist got it. The promised Messiah had come. John had done the preparation. Now it was time for the glory of the Lord to be revealed. And John dies. But John was tilling the soil. John was preparing the ground for where Jesus walked. John trusted in the Lord. And he was willing to decrease so that Christ could increase. Preparing our hearts for the glory of the Lord means that he must increase, and I must decrease. What does that mean to say that over our lives? To say that over our preparations? To say that over our legacy? In my life, God, become greater. Make me less. Help me walk in obedience. That is the life of worship. Faithful obedience to the Lord does not require him to give you the answer that you desire. It doesn't require him to answer at all. But that doesn't diminish our call to follow and trust by faith on this earth, seeking after his kingdom, knowing that his word stands forever, that his word endures forever. So what are you preparing for? With legacy, the world might say, hey, we're preparing. We're making final preparations. We're preparing for our earthly death. But as Christians, we're reminded that it doesn't stop there. 
because we are preparing for something greater. We are preparing for our Christ to come again. We are preparing for eternity with our Savior, to meet our Savior and to spend eternity with Him. The Advent season is about preparing, preparing for His coming again. The Advent season is about the arrival of Jesus Christ. Yes, it's about remembering when Jesus Christ, our Savior, took on flesh and arrived as a humble child. But the Advent is also about preparing for His coming again. We believe that Jesus came, He died, He rose again, and is coming again. This is our hope. This is our salvation. This is why when we celebrate Advent, it's not only backward-facing, but it's forward-facing. It's forward-facing to when we live together with Him in eternity. Grass withers, flowers fall, people rise, people fall. Our faithfulness, our glory rises and falls, but the word of our God endures forever. So prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight a highway in the wilderness. Ask the Lord to be moving in your life as you seek to prepare the ground around you. So prepare the ground, prepare the ground. We're going to prepare our hearts and our minds to take communion together. And as we come, come with gratitude, with thanksgiving in our hearts. But before we take communion, I want us to take time to think to pray, to ask yourself and to ask God a couple questions. And these are the questions I want you to think about. First, how do you create fertile soil in your life? How do you create fertile soil in your life? How are you preparing yourself for God to move in your life like never before? And then secondly, how is God calling you to prepare the ground around you for your family, for your kids, for your coworkers? Prepare the ground. Let's spend some time in prayer.